0: Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting around the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many years ago, I was invited by a friend to travel to Bratislava, Slovakia. Do you know where that is? I didn't either. I had no idea. My friend and I were studying in Madrid for the semester and during our fall break, she wanted to meet her parents in Austria and do really important touristy things like see the Sound of Music tour. Uh, But I also wanted to visit this family that they knew in Bratislava, Slovakia and they invited me to tag along. Bratislava, it turns out, is right across the Austrian-Slovak border, an hour's car ride from Vienna. So this was way back in the fall of 1996, and Slovakia had been an independent state for less than three years. It had been democratic for less than seven years. Before that, it was part of communist Czechoslovakia. Well, when we crossed the border in our rental car, I remember just staring out the windows, because all of a sudden, all the architecture changed. We left behind the beauty of Austria, and we were now surrounded by buildings that were just drab concrete. These huge high rise buildings that looked like warehouses for people. There was nothing pretty or fancy to be found on that street. Everything was utilitarian. Everything was gray, remnants of the communist regime. And all of a sudden, I was feeling a little uneasy about being there. Like, where are we going? And who are we going to meet? We drove up to one of the endless numbers of apartment buildings and parked the car and rang the bell, and we waited just a moment until a young woman came bounding out of the door, embracing my friend and her parents, vigorously shaking my hand. She swept us all into the building, led the way as we climbed up several flights of stairs in this dimly lit stairwell down the hall to the apartment. We walked in, and I remember being surprised at how small it was as well as how full of furniture and how full of people it was. I was still feeling pretty unsure and a little overwhelmed standing in that cramped space, listening to the chatter of the people all around me. But then they ushered us to the table, this small table situated in the corner of the living room, covered by a fancy tablecloth that had obviously seen many, many years of service. We sat down, and suddenly the table was overflowing with food, Now, I can't remember what we ate, only that it was delicious. I can't remember the names of the people in that apartment. I can't remember what we talked about, but what sticks with me to this day from that night so many years ago was what it felt like to be sitting there together. We ate, we talked, we laughed, we shared stories, we asked questions, we learned about one another. The meal lasted for hours, and I was sad when it came to an end. I walked into the apartment, an uneasy stranger from a foreign country, but after we ate together, I felt like a friend. Maybe you've had an experience like that, where relationships are born or transformed by sharing a meal together. There's something about eating together that breaks down barriers and that opens up pathways to understanding. Sharing food brings connection, and it brings joy. Maybe this is why Jesus ate with other people so very much. I mean, you read through the gospel stories, you find story after story of Jesus eating with other people. He ate with other people so much, he got called a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, has this registered for you? Have you incorporated this into your idea of who Jesus was on the earth? He was the kind of guy that got called a glutton and a drunkard. People said he ate too much and he drank too much. In other words, he had a reputation for being a party animal. (laughs) It's what's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Now, I have to think that part of the reason that was his reputation was because of his behavior. He must have been the kind of guy that sat at the table for hours and hours telling stories and sharing jokes and apparently having plenty of wine. Now, remember, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine so the party doesn't stop. I think he just kept going with that. He must have been the kind of guy who liked to have a good time. But I think another part of the reason why Jesus got called a glutton and a drunkard was because of the people with whom he had dinner. You know, Jesus, he didn't eat with just reputable people. Scripture says he ate with tax collectors. (laughs) people who were considered greedy and manipulative. He ate with sinners, the scripture tells us. And it leaves us to imagine what kind of folks would fall under that umbrella term. Think for a minute, who would make you uncomfortable to sit down with today? That's probably the kind of person that was at the table with Jesus. I love how in the scripture from the Gospel of Matthew we hear that not only was Jesus called names, not only did he have a bad reputation, but John the Baptist, who behaved completely differently than Jesus, was also reviled and was misunderstood. You know John the Baptist, the guy who was kind of the opening act for Jesus? He was Jesus' cousin. He eventually baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He was not a party animal. He was the opposite. He never drank alcohol. He fasted all the time. In the Gospels, we read that he ate locusts and wild honey. I'm guessing not very many people came over to John's house for dinner. (laughs) He was an ascetic. He lived a Spartan lifestyle as a spiritual discipline, right? His choice to limit his food and limit his drink was a way for him to stay focused on God. He did it as a way to live a holy life, to keep things simple, to keep them stripped down, to keep himself centered on God and God's will in the world. And John the Baptist stands in a really long line of spiritual people before him and so many after who have chosen this way to stay close to God. It is a holy way to live that sort of abstinence life. But then there's Jesus. Jesus who lived in a manner opposite of John, but he did it for the exact same reason, Jesus used food and drink as a way to be present to God and to make God known in the world. He used meals as a way to embody the very grace that he preached about. So he lived out this wide hospitality of God's love, a love that welcomes anyone and everyone, and he did that by sitting down at the table with anyone and everyone. I have to think that the people who accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a glutton, that they had never actually sat at the table with him. They were the kind of people who stood on the sidelines and and accused him from afar. People who wanted to judge him from a distance instead of sitting down and talking with him, sharing food with him, listening to him. These were the people who never experienced firsthand from him the expansive and welcoming love of God. And that's what Jesus is lamenting in the passage that we read for today. How ridiculous the people around him were in misunderstanding what God was up to in the world. He said they were like children who were playing games in the marketplace, complaining they didn't get their way. They saw John and his life of simplicity and devotion, and they misunderstood him and said he must be possessed. And they saw Jesus, who lived this life of wide welcome, of hospitality, of abundance, and they said, he's out of control, he's dangerous. And in both ways, they let their judgments get in the way of seeing the miraculous thing that God was doing in the world. Now, I would like to say that we today in the church... We who know the saving love of God, we who understand how deep is God's forgiveness, how freely God gives grace. I'd like to say that we in the church are so different from those people, and we never judge from a distance. We never separate ourselves from one another. We never cast doubt on the character or the habits of each other. I'd like to say that but I have attended too many church meals that have a resemblance to like the middle school lunch cafeteria, where people walk in and they glance nervously around the room, trying to decide where to sit, looking for a friend, someplace they feel safe so they can hang out with people they already know. Somehow, it's in our fragile human natures to want to stay with what's known and feel safe. And it takes intentional effort for us to cross boundaries, for us to sit down with someone new, with someone different. We have to want to make new friends, to gain understanding, to get up close to people and their lives, instead of just making our judgments from afar. You know, I was pleased and also a little envious this week to see that several of my friends on social media were sharing photos of Juneteenth celebrations that they attended this year. This is not something that I ever really remember seeing before on social media from my white friends. Uh, But now we're in the second or the third year, I'm not sure which, of Juneteenth being a federal holiday. And it it seems like a lot of cities have begun to increase their celebrations and increase the visibility and the attendance of those uh, celebrations. Now, if you're not familiar with Juneteenth, it's today. And it celebrates the day more than two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation that the last slaves in the United States were finally freed. It took that long, including months after the Civil War was over, for Union soldiers to land in Galveston, Texas and bring word to the enslaved people there that they were, in fact, free. June 19th, 1865. That's the day that chattel slavery ended in America. And for a very long time, it was celebrated uh, really just by the black community. But now it's a federal holiday, and that gives us all a chance to learn more and to understand more. Because, you know, the ending of slavery in America, that's not something just for black people to remember and celebrate. That's something for all of us to be grateful for, for that horrific, that evil institution For the day, it was finally made illegal across the country, and people who were in bondage had been set free. That's something for us all to celebrate, no matter the color of our skin. Now, here in Omaha, the celebration was yesterday, which means that it overlapped, of course, on the calendar with Papillion Days, and we've missed our our moment to experience it this year. But there'll be a celebration next year, and there are going to be other chances for us to sit down at tables with people who are different from us. People who celebrate holidays we haven't paid much attention to. People who have different life experiences than we do. My point is that Juneteenth reminds us that there are plenty of chances for us to invite others to our tables and to be a guest to new friends and to remember the power that food has to help break down barriers and open up pathways to understanding. My prayer is that whether we're eating together a big meal or sharing a donut in the narthex, we're standing next to one another in the communion line, that when we eat together, our meals are a chance for us to meet new friends, to gain understanding, to experience the gift of community that God gives us. Because church, church overall is a place to know and to be known, a place to be accepted for who you are and not be judged. We know that God's love does not discriminate. God's love is equally available to all. And because we know that, we're called as disciples of Jesus to make our welcome as wide as possible to make a seat for everyone at the table. And one of the best ways that I've seen this stated is something that I've shared with you before several years ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's awesome. And it reminds us that a church, if a church, is gonna break down the barriers that the world puts up, if a church is gonna embody the generous and the hospitable love of God, if a church is gonna be a place where everyone's welcome, then it needs to look like this. It comes from Coventry Cathedral in England. They have a big sign in their narthex, and this is what it says. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, widowed, gay, confused, filthy rich, comfortable, or dirt poor. We extend a special welcome to wailing babies and excited toddlers. We welcome you whether you can sing like Pavarotti, or we could say play like John Hewitt, or if you just growl quietly to yourself. (laughs) You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woken up, or just got out of prison. We don't care if you're more Christian than the Archbishop of Canterbury or haven't been to church since Christmas 10 years ago. We extend a special welcome to those who are 60, but over 60 but not grown up yet. Is that anybody here? And to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome keep fit mums. I think that means like health conscious people, (laughs) football dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those of you who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems are down in the dumps or don't like organized religion. We aren't that keen on it either. We offer a welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or are here because Granny is visiting and wanted to come to the cathedral. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, both or neither. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down their throats as kids, or got lost in the city center and wound up here by mistake. We welcome pilgrims, tourists, seekers, doubters, and my invitation to you this week is to consider what you can do to widen your table. Maybe you can do that literally by having a meal with someone you don't know well. Maybe someone who's different than you. Maybe someone you don't quite understand. Maybe you can widen your table not with an actual meal, but with a conversation. Or maybe this week, all you have the space and the capacity to do is widen your table by reading or learning about something that's important to other people, but that you know little about. However you do it, remembering the wide welcome of God's love, find a way this week to learn something, have a conversation, or best yet, in the name of our Savior, the glutton and the drunkard, share a meal with somebody. I have no doubt that you will find joy in the learning and the sharing you will see God's love for others a little more clearly and you will know God's love for yourself a little more deeply. Thanks be to God. Amen.